Oh, good morning. Yeah, welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus to build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron. I'm glad that you are with us as we have their beautiful by design from gender to generations. And uh, uh, today we get to talk about gender. And I'll tell you what, I don't think the devil wants this particular message to be proclaimed because I've had a little bit of attack this morning. Uh, the first service, all of our video, my notes went away, the entire sermon disappeared. God's Word was still there, by the way. That was pretty cool. Uh, and then I found out that during first service, my son, he fell and probably re-injured his legs in a hospital right now getting checked out. So I'm a little distracted. So I would ask you to do this. Let's pray right now so that we can put these things in God's hands so that we can take it to the devil and, and get into God's Word because he's a powerful God. Would you do that with me? All right, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the sovereign king of the universe. And all those songs that we, that we sang this morning are absolute truth. Lord, that you hold us all. You are our deliverer, our protector. Lord, that you are the goddess, our designer, and our creator. And Father, we pray this morning that you would allow your message to do its work in our heart and our lives. I pray for my son as he's in the hospital, Lord, that you would allow the doctors to see exactly what's needed then to see, give him wisdom and all that, take good care of him. Pray you take care of his pain as well as calm his nerves as well as that of his mom. Lord, and uh, yeah, heal him. That would be great for me. Father, help me focused on your word. Let me deliver your word in love and in truth the way that it's supposed to be so that we could be set free uh, to live the good lives that you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So last week when we talked about this, we set up the, the foundational uh, truths that are necessary for us to even talk about today's message about gender, because I don't know if you noticed, it's kind of a hot button topic in culture right now. And here's what we talked about last week, that our identity. At the very core level, who are we? And we discovered in God's Word, wonderfully, that, that we are not who culture says we are. Like, I'm not defined by this world. They, they can say all kinds of things about me, but that doesn't matter, because culture can't define me. I am not who the world says I am, because the world is going to look on the outside with their crazy lenses, and they're going to see only the outside, and they're going to see me inaccurately. Right? And so they're going to define me by my race, they're going to define me by my socioeconomics, they're going to define me by my politics, they're going to define me by my nationality, they're going to define me by, by even my gender. Right? They're going to do all of those types of things, and they're going to try to tell me who I am, but I'm not those things. Why? Because I died to myself, and I was made new in Christ. So I'm told to take off that old self and put on the new self and, and live a new way. So the culture doesn't have the right to define me, and also... We just got this other another wonderful truth that I'm not who I say I am, which is a really great thing because oftentimes I lie to me, right? I'll say things like, Aaron, you're not enough. You're not God's masterpiece. You're not forgiven. You're not good enough for God to be with you. He's going to abandon you because you're a stinker, right? I'm going to tell myself things that aren't true, and I do it a lot. I don't define me. Culture doesn't define me. See, I'm not... Any of those things, I'm not who the world says I am, I'm not who I say I am, but I am who God says I am. Because the truest thing that will ever be said about me is what God says. Because if God speaks it, it becomes true. Isn't that wonderful? And so I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm God's child, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how the world looks at me. Fundamentally, primarily, I am defined by God. Now, in that, let's talk about then how God made us. Because it shows us a little about our design. And in order to do that... Uh, we have a memory verse that kind of that theological anchor for us that kind of helps us understand and, and cling to some of those things. And, and it comes to us from our message last week from Ephesians 4.17, which reminds us we must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
right? That there's a better way for us to live. We don't have to live futile lives thinking futile things that lead us to, to brokenness, right? So this is a really great passage. It empowers us. It reminds us the goodness of God and the invitation, the opportunity that we have to live a whole wonderful life. So with that, why don't you just say it with me and then we'll get into the rest of the message. Sound good? All right, here we go. Three, two, one. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, Ephesians 4, 17. But isn't that great? That we don't have to live that. In fact, right before that in the passage says, uh, I command you this in the Lord, right? And insist upon it that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, we can replace Gentiles with pagans, right? We must no longer live as they do. We don't have to live in a futile world, in futile thinking, but it also warns us of lives lived in that, that futile way, right? That the world doesn't know how it's supposed to operate, and it becomes a little crazy. And doesn't that kind of define where we are in our world today? Right? Last week, we talked about this a little bit, not just our identity, but we also talked about some deeper things, some, uh, some really core truths about, uh, about how good God is. Now, one of those, true, those truths that we realized and we find in Scripture, this, this principle, is that, is that shattered truth breaks lives, right? And so we, we recognize that when we, that we have these broken lifestyles that are based upon shattered truths, it just cre- it creates pain and chaos in real people's lives today. And one of the things that we want to avoid pain and broken lives is that we need to, to live a different way, which is unique, set apart, or we would call holy, right? And that God has called us to a different kind of lifestyle, a different kind of way. This, this holiness is not, you know, just being good little boys and girls. It's living the higher life that God has called us to, a different, unique, set apart kind of lifestyle that we don't have to live in this futility any longer, praise the Lord. And that holiness has a benefit. The principle we learn is that holiness leads to wholeness, that we begin to operate in the way that God has designed us to live, and, and, and we interact in the world in the way that the world was designed to operate. And we find ourselves not shattered, but we find our worlds kind of coming together. We put God at the center where He's supposed to be, and we live in this world according to the way that He's designed it. It's a great thing. Well, today we're going to talk about how does that work even with the issue of gender, right? Because this is an issue we see a lot of, of damage and fractured and pain and struggle, And I want you to know this is a happy, happy message because we find God's wholeness here. We find a better way. We find goodness. So I'm going to invite us to do is why don't you take your Bibles and turn them to Genesis chapter 1. That's that's right in the beginning. In fact, we're going to be on page 1, which ironically enough, and if you're using one of our Bibles, it's like 20 pages in, but it's page 1 of Scripture. At the very beginning, Genesis is, is the story of, of, of how we began. It takes us from creation all the way down, how God made us as, as humanity, all the way down to how he created a people uh, and his good work, how it all started. And so Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are the story of creation, of how he designed us. It tells us a lot of things about uh, how we were made, our purpose, uh, and God's design for things in the world and how it's supposed to operate. It's a wonderful thing. Chapter 1 is kind of a, the overview, a big picture of creation, and, and, and then chapter 2 kind of zooms in and really focuses more on, on the role and the purpose of humanity and what happens there. And then chapter 3, we get into what went wrong. And so we're going to be in chapter 1 as we begin, and just to set the context of it. In chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's, a, that's an amazing thing. So uh, what we find is, as all of this happens before humans happened, right? And if you don't have people, 
then you don't have people's opinions about people, about how things are to work. And if you don't even have one person because there was nothing there yet, then you also don't have society because society is made of people, right? So we don't have culture yet, and we don't have people's convictions. All we have is our Creator. And in this, we find that our Creator, it says eventually on the sixth day, says, God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and all the, move, all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his image and the image of God, he created them and male and female, he created them. And as we find this, that, that when we talk about gender, we get into this very thing at the very beginning of creation, we recognize that our sexual identity and sexual identity itself, oh, oh devil, I'm going to get you was from our creator, not our culture, nor our convictions, right? That our creator is the one who came up with male and female. There is, it's not from society that gender is not this social construct, because there wasn't a social construct. There was no society to have a social construct when he made him male and female, and it certainly wasn't from convictions. Like God didn't ask Adam first, form him, and say, are you going to be a man? Do you feel mannish dirt? And then I'll breathe life into you. Didn't do it. That sexual identity came from the Creator. God designed it. That's great, right? So that's the first context that we have, is that, that in the beginning, as God created the heavens and earth, before any of those things happened, God designed gender. This is from Him. And it's from God, and it came in creation before there was the fall, meaning that it was good. And so we read part of God's creative work. It's God said, let us make mankind in our image. Most of us think today like gender is like one of those issues. Like, oh, it just drives us nuts because it's like a bee that just keeps stinging you. It's one of those things that's annoying. Like gender is being used as a weapon to separate people and to cause hatred and division and all these awful things. But I want you to know that is a, a perversion of it. That gender is, is holy. That gender came as a reflection of who God is. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. That God said, let us make mankind our own image. And part of being image bearers, you'll notice even in this passage, was that, that we get to have, that we are, 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 uh, are given this great authority to be able to, to have dominion over the earth to help rule it and to help it operate according to God's design, right? We get to work as his, his emissaries in this world to, to be able to continue to bring his goodness and reflect his goodness in this world, even through the authority that he gives. That's a great thing. That's part of being an image bearer. And we recognize as being image bearers, it's not just that God gave us authority to, to be able to, to help this world manage it and operate according to his good design, but that he made us male and female, as part of that design, which means masculinity and femininity are from God, that, that he came up with this, and not only were they part of his idea, like birds or fish were his ideas, right, but that also they were a reflection of who he is, which makes gender a holy thing, which is why it's not something that Christians have the, the desire, the right, or to, to want to alter it. We don't want to give a wrong image of who God is. His image is holy. And gender is a holy thing, and it's a good thing. It's, it's a piece of the, of the divine that we get to witness and experience and participate in in our world. Think how amazing that. So we don't change this. We celebrate it. 
And we get to be part of that. So we recognize that not only is it gender from God, but here's something that is as so cool in that, that God created two genders. I'm so happy about this. Can you imagine if the world was all men? Or was all women? Like, we would miss something deeply wonderful. That he made us different, but complementary. Reflection of his goodness. And neither one was better than the other. But I'm also glad that he gave it the definition that God revealed himself in two, two different ways, our genders. We were male and female. And it's an issue, then, of recognizes an issue of image bearing, right? Where it says that God created them in his own image, male and female. This is part of, of us reflecting his goodness. Now, our world today is confused about this. And they have believed there might be lots and lots and lots of different of genders. Ironically enough, the way that they say that, that if you are, have one of the many, many genders on the inside, that the way that you're supposed to fix that is then you can have what they call gender-affirming therapy, which is mostly medical sexual mutilation in order to alter your body to match what's in your mind. But I find this its revealing that the only two options they give you are to be medically altered to look male or female. That intrinsically and inherently, there are two genders, and we cannot get away from it. Nor should we want to. It's a beautiful thing. It's an issue of holiness. And hear this. It's why it's so important for us to get this, that holiness leads to wholeness. The Christians in this world, we, we are not in a world in which that God designed us to just be shattered and broken apart and, and to question who we are and to, uh, to not be able to understand our place in the world or how we were designed or anything like this. That, that when we fail to recognize the core nature of, of the beauty and, and the holiness of the gender that God has made us in, we, we find that our lives kind of doesn't, it won't make sense. We don't know who we are. We don't know uh, where we fit. Society begins to fall apart. Our worlds fall apart. And God did not design us not from God. But when we embrace his holy design, we find wholeness in our lives and in our families and our churches and our culture. It's a loving thing and a good thing and a freeing thing and a happy thing to embrace, the, embrace the, the way in which he made us to reflect his goodness. And so it says that God created us male and female and, and it's a wonderful thing. And therefore we recognize that in scripture that God didn't just come up with gender as a reflection of him. And we recognize that God didn't just make two genders, but that he did something also good, that he tied gender to biology. In the word, so it would be simple. It's not a complex thing. From beginning to end, that we recognize that God tied intrinsically a person's gender to the biology in which he also gave them. And this is not from culture, and it's not from their own idea of who they are. It's a work of God. Let me show you Genesis 2.22, right? Where it says, then the Lord made woman from the rib which he had taken out of the man. Now remember, Genesis 2 is more in depth of how he made it. So he made a woman out of the rib to the man, and he brought her to the man. Now notice that there are two genders that God created, and he separated. They were different, and so he made woman very, very different than how he made man. And how does he say, you say that there was woman, which would be a biological female, right? And then you have the, 
the pronoun, which we all love those, her. And her, the, the feminine pronoun, is a tied to the biological female, woman, consistently. Right? And it wasn't just that God made it this way. He brought her to the man. But then Adam, when he first sees Eve, look what he says. He said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She, feminine, this is female, right? The gender will be called woman. That's their biology. They're tied together. For she was taken out of man. There is a difference. And all the way through Scripture, there is an affirmation of the fact that women are female and men are male. There is a documentary that uh, was put out not very long ago where, where this guy asked the question, this profound philosophical and theologically rich question, what is a woman? And it's amazing to me as I was watching that and, and deeply heartbreaking is that those that were at the highest level of our academic system could not answer that question. And yet, it's self-evident throughout time, throughout every culture, for every different religion, even in our own country until about 10 years ago, five years ago, was, was self-evident. God has always tied gender to Biology, always. And because it was self-evident, Scripture doesn't really go into much detail to defend it. It was just self-evident. Because it was so self-evident, what we would expect if God did not tie gender to biology is that Scripture would go to links to make sure that we would understand that because this is an issue of God's holiness and His design as well as our personal identity. And so if this was not the case... Scripture does a lot of things that says stuff that's are offensive or that blew people's minds or were against what they wanted to hear. It does that a lot. It would have gone through and revealed it, but it does not. Instead, from beginning to end, we find that God affirms this, and that's a good thing because our design, how God made us, and male or female, is part of how he crafted each one of us. You are one of the two. And it shows you something about not just who you are, but what God designed you to do in your life. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, we were in that last week, and that wonderful affirmation that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which she prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that part of your design is your gender? That he made you a particular way and your gender kind of tells you a little about who you are? That that. Males are men, and men are masculine, and masculine, uh, masculinity is, is productive, it's, it's protective, it, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, powerful, right? That, that we need masculinity, it's not toxic, it's a very good thing, right? And females are feminine, and femininity is nurturing, and it's civilizing, and it's relational, and we need femininity very much in our world today. And femininity is not weak. It's not something that's to be pushed aside in order for the stronger, better masculine traits. No, femininity is a reflection of God and His goodness. And the design which God has given each of us, stamped in His image upon each one of us, imprinted either in our masculinity or femininity, tells us a little of how we are to serve Him, how we help Him, how we are to do the good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. Which is why... Uh, we see like anytime you, you see something in its design, it tells you what it's made for. For example, I, when I eat my dinner, 
I use, I, I use uh, things that look like the smaller versions, of course, right? Because they help me eat my dinner. They're designed to do that. They have a task for them to do. And when somebody serves me a bowl of soup, which one do you think I grab? Now, did I have to take a college class to learn which cutlery to use in order to, to make sure I could eat my soup well? Right? No, I mean, the design tells me something about its purpose of what it's supposed to do. And I'll tell you what, can I eat soup with this? Well, I can, but it's kind of futile. And the fact that there are a very small portion of people in this world who are confused and think that they should eat their soup with a fork doesn't negate the fact that soup is designed to be eaten with a spoon. We recognize that when we look at our design, it tells us a little about what we were designed to do. And you know what? God made you on purpose. You are his masterpiece. You are not a mistake. You are not an error. He, he, didn't, he didn't mess up. You are his handiwork. You. That's the power in the word of God. And part of how he designed you is he's imprinted upon you his image and your masculinity, your femininity. Jesus, that men, like, how you are to serve God, how are you to bring and do the good works in which he created you to do, part of that is, is a reflection of your masculinity in that productivity and that, that being that powerful at being, uh, being protective, how you, how you express that and, and how you live. And women, that you could see that part of, of the good works that God has prepared in advance to do is definitely demonstrated or reflected in, in your design of, of your femininity, in your nurturing and your civilizing nature, the way that you bring together in relationship that is so important. And this has been self-evident for all of centuries, for every culture, until here just recently. Which is why in most every culture, regardless of the theological background of it, you'll find very similar gender roles in society. And even in the church there are gender roles. And in family there have been gender roles which have been kind of understood because our design tells us kind of what we were designed to do. And that brings clarity. It helps us to live our lives because we're not always wondering and living a futile way and eating soup with forks. But things have changed. You know that I preached this message nine years ago? This very message nine years ago, and it was the most milquetoast message, these same points from the same scripture. And when I preached it about nine years ago, you know what? People were bored. They were like, oh, of course. Even people who aren't Christian were like, yeah, of course, this is self-evident, this is so stupid, Aaron, why are you spending time covering these very simple things? And then, this week, I had people like, Pastor Aaron, I'm praying for you, you are a brave man to say that God made us male and female, our biology is tied to our gender, that we have a purpose for that, and these are reflections of his holy image. There's nothing brave about that, but this is... is is that we live in a culture that is confused. And I don't mean to make fun of culture. Like, we live in a day and age, and we, these simple self-evident truths have been, have been confused to the point where people ha don't know who they are. And we find in that division that there is oftentimes there is conflict. We don't see culture coming together. We see it fragmenting apart. And it's, it's awful. Do you know right now, according to the... National Psychological Association that a majority, a small majority, but a majority of young men, 18 and below, are despondent. That was the word they used, despondent. That young men are feeling that, that, that they have no point or purpose or hope 
that they're deeply, deeply lonely, that they don't have anybody close in their lives, and they don't realize, don't have any idea how they fit into this world. Do you know why that is? Because we've told our young men that masculinity is toxic, unless a woman is masculine, and it's fine. But if you are a man and you show any masculine traits, you are, you are directive, you're, you're, you go out and you want to do things like this, so that's bad. That's, if, if you are more stoic and not completely open, then you're, you're a toxic man. But, it, but then on the other side, if he's too emotional, then we're like, you're weak. We, pick this, we made it impossible for young men to have a place in society. They're wrong no matter what they do. And so they're lost and despondent and despair, feeling like there's no place for them. Like they're just wrong for existing. And here's this tragedy of it. These young men who then move away from their masculinity, they become completely unattractive to women who want nothing to do with an effeminate man who has no direction, is not going to be productive, who's not going to protect her, who's not going to do anything with his power, but is going to be weak. And so these young men find themselves alienated, lost, and without hope into schools that are failing them, into businesses and jobs and society that is failing them. And so we have this movement, this thing called incels, and all this for angry, mad, lonely, desperate young men. Does that sound like it's from God, the whole life that he's called us to? And it's not any better for women. Look at it in our society. We've told women this lie that it is somehow better to give the best years of your life, all of your energy and all of your time to build a business for some corporation for their bottom line than it is to build a family. And the homes in our country are falling apart. And without homes, our churches are falling apart, and our nation is falling apart. There is no nurturing, there is no time to civilize when we just have the nose to the grindstone. And we've told young women this lie that they will find their hope and their happiness outside of what God designed their heart for. It's futile. It's futile. Aren't you glad that we don't have to live according to the ways of the of the pagans any longer, and the futility of their thinking. And God has designed us for something greater, something better. And we can discover part of that when we celebrate the wholeness of, of, of the simplicity of His design. So our culture is confused, and it is broken. And you would say, Aaron, how did it get so complicated? Why is it so complicated? I remember it wasn't very long ago where I'd have, I coached football. It was very easy. We would take the football team to the boys' locker room, and they would change. Do you know it's not that simple anymore? And then we have to worry, like, some of the boys, some of the girls, some have to go in their own little bathroom by themselves, and, and we don't know who to call them or whatever. I mean, it's just complicated. How did the world get so complicated? Well, what was self-evident, what was once foundational for all society, is not, is now controversial, and I'll tell you this, that the brokenness that we see from that is not from God. How do I know that? Fingerprints of God, we find there in 1 Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul is talking about even order in the worship service, right? How to distinguish between godly worship and worship that really isn't from God. And there were people that were there bringing all kind of chaos and confusion in the midst of the worship service, and the apostle, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Right? That's the, that's the evidence of, of, of God's work and his fingerprints in life. And he says, as in the congregation of all the Lord's people, this is universally God is a God of order. 
That's what he does. In fact, the very work of creation is he, in the beginning, created order out of chaos. And so when you see chaos begin to reign and things falling apart, you have order moving to chaos, this is not a work from God. Quite the opposite. The simplicity moved to complexity and the complexity moved to brokenness. How and why? Well, if it's not God at work there, guess who's at work there? Guess who's been using complexity to to mess up simplicity since the beginning in order to thwart God's plans? Oh yeah, that would be the devil. This is how he works. Genesis chapter 3 tells us at the beginning, right, God created everything and he made stuff real simple, right? There was one simple rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, you die. Does that sound complex? Get eat from any other tree, don't eat from that tree. But then it says, now the serpent, the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Right? He's, he's like, all right, how am I going to take that simple thing and make Adam and Eve go against that very simple rule? So what did he do? He said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right? This first thing is very simple, and so what does he do? He begins to confuse it. He begins to question God's competence. Like, you're in this beautiful paradise. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any of these trees? Now, the devil knew that God didn't say that, so why did he offer that? Because it opened the door for Eve to begin to question God's competence. It opened the door for her to begin to have doubt. It opened the door for the devil to have a greater conversation with him. Instead of just, if the devil said, did God really say you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Eve would have said, yep, conversation done. But it opened the door, started to confuse things a little bit. And that's how Satan springs his trap. So he began to question God's competence. And so then what does he do? He moves on and he begins to challenge God's, his motives. He says, you're not going to die. God doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not competent. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. See, God has a motive behind this, an ulterior motive to tell you not to eat from this tree, Eve. Maybe you should question God's motives. Maybe they're not for you. And then he goes one step further and doesn't just question God's motives, but God's character. That God doesn't only have ulterior motives, but God's motives are bad for you. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. The devil begins by bringing great confusion. Stuff, a very simple command. Eve and Adam understood this. Don't eat from the tree. Life is good. We just don't eat from that tree. And the devil begins to bring confusion into that very simple command by just questioning God's competence, questioning God's motive, questioning God's character. And now that Eve is confused, what is she left with? Well, she can't just trust God now. She doesn't know if he's confident. She's not positive that he's, that he's good. So she has to rely on her own best thinking. And so what happened? She engaged her own best thinking. It says there that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she used her rationality. I mean, why would God create a tree that has fruit on it, that is good-looking fruit, if it wasn't designed to be eaten? She uses her best thinking. Of course I should eat it. I can eat all the rest of the trees. Seems pretty arbitrary that I just can't eat from this one tree. And he clearly made it for fruit to be eaten. It seems to make sense. So her own best thinking, she said it was desirable getting wisdom, so she took and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So God took what was very simple, was self-evident, don't eat from this tree, right? You're going to live. A very simple command. and made it complicated, left her own thinking, and we fell apart. You know, we do the same thing. I mean, that's, that's his, his strategy. He's done the same thing for us in, in terms of our gender, 
How do I know this? Well, it's pretty simple. God created us male or female. And our gender is tied to our biology, and that was a reflection of God's holiness, and this was from Him. Very simple. Not complicated. And has made it very complicated. He started, if you would take a stroll back in time with me, all the way to the 1950s, where there became people where the devil said, did God really make men and women different? I mean, aren't they really just exactly the same, except for they have different biology on the outside, but on the inside, intellectually, all that? Aren't men and women actually the same? Did God really do that? And we as society said, well, yes, of course he did. He, in fact, they're so much different that if we, if we have a guy that, 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 or a woman that wears pants, then you know, the world's going to end, right? Just like Eve. And then the devil springs a trap. No! If a woman wears pants, the world's not going to end. In fact, she can do all the everything that a man can do and we'll be fine. And, and God's just keeping you from those things because there's a because he's got ulterior motives because religion is evil and is there to subjugate women and to make children's lives miserable right because god is bad so what happened we began as a culture to say well wait a second i don't know maybe god isn't right in this and so we were left to our own best thinking and guess where our best thinking resides in the ivy league towers of these universities with that were run and ruled by secular people who came up with this brilliant idea to say, well, maybe, maybe men and women aren't different. Maybe, maybe they're exactly the same, and maybe all gender roles are just evil, and therefore maybe gender isn't really tied to biology to begin with, because really it's just, it's just something that is imposed by society on the outside and not anything that has to do with anything on the inside, and maybe because of that, it's wrong to even say there should be any kind of gender roles anywhere ever for any reason, and then if that's the case, maybe a person's gender is kind of fluid. Maybe a person that's biologically male could be female or female male, and, and maybe it's perfectly fine for two men to have a relationship of love and to get married into that or two women or anything like this and maybe we don't I mean, maybe marriage shouldn't even be what we thought of it in fact maybe it's marriage is completely wrong in and of itself and people should be allowed to have sex with whoever they want anytime they want without any type of, of consequence and what has happened we have become depraved families are being destroyed children are being destroyed lives are being destroyed because Broken truths create broken lifestyles that break lives. And so we go to this, this, we see how the devil complicated it. But then we ask the question, the critic, why does it matter? Because I asked that question. What's the big deal, Pastor Aaron? Who cares? Who cares if somebody has a different understanding of why they think or why they believe what they are? I mean, and I was certainly in that. I was, I was like, I don't care. I know who I am, confident in that. It's perfectly fine with it. But in, and I thought that was a loving thing. I thought in love, I had to say, well, truth exists, but, but I don't have to say it. I don't have to defend it. And I thought that was loving. But was it? Well, no, because brokenness breaks lives. And it wasn't until after I had eaten that fruit that I saw the damage that this has done. You see, the devil wants to do more than just break your life. He doesn't just hate you. I wish that I could tell you were that important, that the devil was all out to get you or me. I don't think he really cares about any one of us in particular. We're not individually that big of a threat to him, right? He, he wants to do something more. He wants to destroy humanity. That's what he's out to do. If you're going to destroy humanity, you have to destroy human culture, right? You have to make it depraved. You have to make us kill each other. 
right? Make us so awful that we give this world image bearers of God and do all kinds of horrible things to each other to make God look horrible and bad and to break his heart. How are you going to break culture? Well, you have to break the foundations, the pillars a culture is made of. You're going to have to break the church to begin with, salt and light, bearers of truth. And how are you going to destroy the church? Well, you destroy the families in which the church is made of because the church is a family. And if you're going to destroy a family, then you have to destroy the individuals that make up that family. If you want to destroy an individual, start by destroying their own core identity, who they are. It's not an issue of just breaking one person's life. It's an issue of of societal destruction. That's why it matters. It's not loving to lie. It's not loving to allow truths to be broken before us. It brings only pain. In Ephesians 4.17, then, it says, So I tell you this and insist on the Lord. This is not an option for us as Christians, right? But it's a wonderful thing for us that we must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. That God doesn't want us to participate in this lie. He doesn't want us to live in this way of brokenness that continues to break things down. He wants us to live a different way, a holy way, because holiness is the pathway to wholeness. And the opposite is, is insanity. So how do we begin walking in this? Well, it tells us, verse 18, like we talked last week, that to understand that the world is darkened in their understanding. Why do we lessen the culture to tell us these basic truths? It cannot understand. It's ignorant of the ways of God. In fact, these ways are separate people from the very life of God. They're ignorant. They don't have any understanding. It's not as though the world is just wicked, right? The world is, is not immoral. It's wrongly moral. It's moral compass is set to the wrong things. They're blind guides, it says in Scripture. It's not as though they're out to destroy us. It's just that in their ignorance, they lead us to destruction. Which is why God says, don't follow them, right? And in guide that says their hearts get hard, which means they lose the sensitivity of being able to know what God would even want them to do. So it goes on to say, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to, guess what? Sensuality, does that look familiar to our world? I started working out a few months ago, you can tell. And, and when I was, I, was, I was doing that, I started listening to different things on my Apple Music, and they have this channel that's called 60-Minute Workout, because that's as long as I want to work out. And, and I was listening to that, and I put it on, and the music that came across my earphones, and it didn't even say like a warning for parents, so it was so vile, so unbelievably awful. I mean, talk about sensuality, how far as humanity we have gone. Like, this is stuff that, that you couldn't have listened to even 15 years ago. And it's just out there to work out to. I did not find it motivating. But it does. Our cultures become overly sensual so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And we do. And it also says they're full of greed. What's it behind a lot of these things? You would say... Uh, why, why are so many hospitals so adamant that we provide gender-affirming care, which is just medical sexual mutilation? Why do they want to do that to children and keep us from reporting it when they do? Because they make a lot of money. Did you know for every one of those surgeries, it's like, it's like almost $100,000, and that most children that go through this have a, are stuck then in a lifetime of further surgeries to deal with the inflection inflammation and the, and the pain and the suffering and all of the damage that's done to their bodies. And they're also stuck in a pharmaceutical thing that they have to take all of these drugs for the rest of their life, which are very, very expensive. There's a lot of money in it. That 
that our people, our children are being destroyed, sold for profit. And the church stands against that because people and children are made in the image of God and they're holy and they're wonderful and they do not to be mutilated in order to be full and right and to live the life that God has created them to live. They're full of greed. And that's the way this world is. And if you don't think this world is trying to manipulate you to destroy you, well, it's time to wake up. But our God is not greedy. He loves you. He cares for you. He crafted you beautifully, perfectly, to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So that is not the way of life that you've learned, to live in this greed and this lies and this brokenness. No, when we heard about Christ, we were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And let us remember that truth is what sets us free. It is a good thing. See, you were taught in regard with your former way of life to put off the old self. Regardless of who you thought you were or what you struggled with in the past or, or the wrong identities in which you held to, guess what? You get to take that off. You don't allow society, doesn't have the right to define you anymore. You don't even have the right to define you anymore. Instead, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, God is going to remake you from the inside out. But he does it as we put on a new self. We allow God to define us. We allow ourselves to say, God, I don't feel this is how I am. I don't feel this is the way, that we're, but I'm going to trust you. And as we do it, he remakes us from the inside out into something we never could have been before. You see, this is a sort of hopeful thing because holiness leads to wholeness. And the church loves people. God loves broken people. He came to make us whole. There is a better solution to this world than what our Ivy League people in their best thinking and ignorance and their darkness of their hearts and minds have to offer. We don't have a world in which we have children and adults wondering who they even are, what their place is in life. God has told us. He has given us our place, and we can live in that. So how do you live according to this? How do you embrace this whole life which God has given you? Well, on your connection card, I give you some next steps. Some happy things to do, to live the new and the better and the full life in love with God, but also loving the people that he's created in this world. And the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is memorize Ephesians 4.17. Remind yourself that, that we're not going to live this common way of life. It shouldn't surprise us that the world is confused. Of course it is. It's been confused from the beginning because the devil confuses. That's what he does. But you don't have to be confused any longer. God has given you truth and clarity, and it's simple, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. So set God's spirit and his word into your heart so you can, be, you can be guarded and shielded by that truth. As we do it, why don't you read Genesis 1 through 3? Because scripture is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It divides right down to get to the point, right? It will help us understand what is truth. Why don't you read about our creation, how God designed us, and what went wrong? I think you're going to find it is really, really applicable. And as we do that, next thing I'm going to challenge us all to do is to celebrate God's design for gender. I didn't have to say defend. You know why? Because truth really doesn't need to have that defense. We want to celebrate it. God created us male and female in his own image. That should be celebrated. His, holy is his holiness is evidence amongst us, right? That we get to, to see the difference, and I'm glad there is a difference, right? So celebrate it. Man, I want you to be, understand that you are not a mistake and you are not toxic. That your strength, your protection, your provision is necessary, especially in a world today. 
right? God made you that way for a reason, and it is good, right? And women, I want you to hear this, that you are not subhuman. You're not sub-man, that your femininity is powerful and is wonderful and is needed. You're nurturing, your civilizing nature, the way that you bring people together in relationship is, is needed deeply in the church, needs that now. So celebrate it to who God made you and to recognize it and to enjoy that. And as we do that, as we appreciate how God made us and how he made those around us, I think the next thing is to speak truth in love. See, for a long time, uh, there, there are two things that are necessary in order for, to be set free. And the first thing is, is that we need truth, right? Without truth, we wander in darkness and ignorance and our hearts become hard and we fall apart and, and the world falls apart around us. And for a long time, I thought that the most loving thing I could do was just to silence truth, but it didn't help that we're called to be salt and light. We have to display God's truth and, and, and into this world so that at least they know there is a way and in the church we need to proclaim truth, which is what I'm doing. But there's the other part to it. Some people love truth, but they love to use it as an ax just to hack people to a bloody pulp. That this is not here to condemn anybody. That Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn people, to set them free. He didn't come to destroy us, but so that we could be made whole again. And so if you are given to the truth, but you want to just use this to say, yeah, you awful pagan, look how condemned and bad you are, then you miss the point. But God, he's not angry with those who are confused. He doesn't hate those who struggle with, with he's, not, he's not set against destroying those who, who have, are blind. He's, he makes the blind see because he loves them. And our culture is broken. And it breaks his heart and he's calling the church to go out into this world to demonstrate and to speak his truth with love so that those who are lost can be found and those who are destroyed can be made put back together again and those who are completely just devastated can be remade in his amazing wonderful image can you commit to speaking truth and love however god designed you can you do that because our god is good and that leads me then maybe to your first step Maybe you need to be made whole. Maybe you need to make that first step. To, to, to take and say, God, I know who I thought I was and who I used to be, but I'm going to die to that. I'm going to allow you to redefine me. I'm going to allow you to redesign me from the inside out to starting to be, I am your child. I am forgiven and I am I'm saved. I'm part of your kingdom. And he'll start doing a great work in you. And if you need to take that step, it says that we're gonna be, we are saved by God's grace through faith. Isn't that amazing? That you don't even have to do anything big. You just got to trust Him. You get to express that faith, your belief, and your confession, your repentance, your baptism, your discipleship, your departure, and you don't have to do any of it alone. You have a church family that's going to be here to help you as you you do. But if you need to take that first step, then what I need you to do is don't leave today until you do. Come talk with me. And I will be so happy to help you take those first steps of faith to find your identity in Christ so that you can live the wholeness and the whole life that He's made for you. Well, I hope I've given you all something to do. Would you mind? And I would appreciate it if you would on your connection card, letting me know what that is. Just mark it down so I can pray for you this week. It's one of the ways I support you. And then while you're at it, why don't you write your prayer request down there? Because I do, I pray for you. If I know how to pray for you, even better. And in just a few moments, we're going to take our offering. And as we do, would you take these connection cards and drop them in the offering basket? Make this your commitment, a step of faithfulness, an offering of faith to the Lord this week. I think you'll be surprised at how awesome it would be. 
uh, for you and God when you do that. Um, we pray for you as you make these commitments and uh, we take our offering. Father God, thank you that you love us, that you designed us for good things and not destruction. Father, we thank you that we are image bearers and that's just a holy thing. Help us to honor that in our lives, to celebrate that goodness. Father, help us to speak truth and love in, in this world. Uh, Father, truth that sets free instead of destroys, Lord. Uh, Lord, if there's anybody here that is confused or is, uh, has difficulty, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would embrace them and your grace would hold them up and draw them closer to you so they could see the beauty of who you are until they understand the beauty of your design. Father, help us to be a church that loves one another in our brokenness as well as in the truth. Father, I pray that you would help us to keep these commitments we've made, not in a legalist way, Father, but a way that we could just show you and express our faith and our love for you. Would you remake us, Father, in your image in a greater way this week so that we could demonstrate to this community and this world and the people that we are around how good you are so that you could receive glory. Father, in that, we ask that you take these commitments as well as our tithes and our offerings. Use them, Father, uh, to bring yourself great glory, for you are good. We pray this all in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.